0: Just ended everything, right? So when we think about Josiah, there were 39 kings in the divided kingdom of Israel. 39 kings. 20 in the northern kingdom, 19 in the south. And we've already seen the end of the northern kingdom under Hosea. The Assyrians came, took them away. That was the end of them. They were scattered, never to be found again. But with the captivity of the tribe of Judah, when they would go away to Babylon, they would come back after 70 years. They were sustained by the Lord because, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ and the promise of the Messiah comes through the line of the the tribe of Judah and they would come back. They would rebuild the temple. They would rebuild the walls under Nehemiah and Ezra and Nehemiah just be amazing things. So what we really get tonight is the last window of great things that happen for the nation of Judah and really a remnant still of Israel because certainly some people from other tribes would have ended up there during the previous times. During the Assyrian siege and all that kind of stuff. So as we come to chapter 23, we're picking it up with Josiah, that great king. He lived 39 years, and out of the 39 kings combined, he's probably the greatest one of them all after David and Solomon from the divided kingdoms. And in chapter 22, we were told that he became king when he was 8 years old. And then we're told when he was 26, he sent the priests and the leaders to go clean up the temple and... Refurbish it and, and put it back into practice. And as they did that, they found the book of the law. They found the entire book of Moses, the book of Deuteronomy, Numbers, Exodus, Leviticus, and Genesis. And he read it and he realized that they had violated this quite a bit as a national people group. And so he was, you know, he tore his clothes. He didn't know what to do. And then they sent to the prophetess Hilda. Uh, to see what she had to say, and she spoke a word of the Lord to him. This was all in chapter 22 a couple of weeks ago on Tuesday night, and she said her word of the Lord was very interesting. She said because you humbled yourself, you had a tender heart, you won't see the destruction of Jerusalem in your time, but it will happen, but you will go to your grave in peace, and so with that word, that's what we pick up tonight. That's the pickup where we come into now in chapter 23. So she, they had just gotten that, brought that word back to him of what she said, the prophetess, after those events. And we read, Now the king sent to gather all the elders. So upon that news, now the king sent to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. Now we'll read verse 4, which kind of sets in motion all the way through chapter, excuse me, verse 26, but we won't read all of it, we'll just read verse 4. And so after they took the stand for the covenant, and the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the field of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And that is the beginning of his actions where he went after everything offensive to the Lord. The rest of this passage through verse 26 he goes in the surrounding region of Jerusalem. Then he goes to the south. Then he goes to the north. You know, the northern kingdom had been removed. They had been, it had been repopulated by a mixed group of people. We already saw that. And he went up there, and anything that existed that had been offensive to the Lord, he removed it. In fact, he fulfilled the prophecy that was spoken hundreds of years before. After Solomon died, when Jeroboam, his servant, went to the north and started the northern tribes, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in the south, There was a whole thing where Jeroboam set up the priest and the false altar and all these things that there was a prophet that came up and he spoke against that altar and what happened there. And he said that in the future time, a man named Josiah would rise up and he would offer the bones of the priest who committed this idolatry at that very place. Well, in the rest of chapter 23, Josiah did that. So he was spoken of hundreds of years before he lived by the Lord. He did these things and he was all in. So after he did all this, then he instituted Passover. Now, Hezekiah had had a great Passover that, again, when we get to Chronicles and Second Chronicles, we get a lot more details about both these two great kings with different perspectives, so I'll save some of that. But they both reinstituted the Passover as the national identity, almost like communion elements tonight for us as a church. And they reinstituted it. And when he did it, he sent messengers out and encouraged people to come, and they had this great Passover, and they did it. All this happened when, essentially when he was 26. So he was 8 years old, when he became king. At 16, Chronicles tells us he made a decision to follow the Lord. At 20, he made a decision to tear down some of the idolatrous places. At 26, in refurbishing the temple, he found the book of the law. He read it. He, he mourned before the Lord. The prophetess Huldah spoke about what would take place, and then immediately he gathered all the people together, read the law, made a covenant, tore down everything offensive to the Lord that was in the land of the original boundaries of Israel, as far as you could see, had a Passover for everybody, and then we just get a summary after that, that at 39, he died in battle when Pharaoh Necho came up from the south and invaded Israel, while at war with Babylon, Assyria. Israel's in the middle, so people are always coming and going when they're at war. And he went out to spy on that battle or spy the elements with Necho, and he died. He was shot with an arrow, and he died. And he certainly died in faith, and this was when he was 39 years of age. So this is the life of Josiah, this great king. And these three verses primarily, but then the fourth verse setting in motion more the actions of what he did. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. He was an awesome king, and as I mentioned earlier, from my personal perspective, if you really look at the resumes before the Lord of these 39 kings during this 250-plus-year period, his is the most impressive. If I had a podium, I'd go gold Josiah, I'd go silver Hezekiah, and probably bronze uh, Jehoshaphat. You know, it's probably what I'd go with, depending on how you rank them. But if you look at their hearts with the Lord, these were probably the three best kings of the 19 kings in the southern area of Judah. So it's pretty cool that the Lord gave them a great king when they're nationally facing an impending doom. And so this is our background to this guy. And what a wonderful summary and this record of this amazing, of these events that happened and transpired over a, a few days and then a few weeks and possibly a couple months They're here for us in the word of God to inspire us. So tonight, I would say this about Josiah. If we even say when he died in battle facing Pharaoh Necho and say, hey, that's the one blemish on his life. Even so, it's not a moral blemish like David and Bathsheba or Hezekiah showing all the wealth of the Babylonians and being lifted up with pride. There's no real moral blemish to identify with Josiah. And as I mentioned, I think he's probably the greatest of all these kings during this time. And so I would say this about Josiah. He made all the right moves. In elementary years, eight years old, that's like second, third grade, 16 to the Lord, 20, you know, his AA, at junior college, right about that time, 26, you know, after college age, a man in the real world, he's the king, all these things. And really it's a record of someone that made all the right moves. He did... We already read that in chapter 22 that he didn't turn aside to the right or to the left, but he did all the things of his father David. There just simply is no blemish. As impressive as Hezekiah was, this is just a, they're both Hall of Fame, but just a little, maybe just a little more impressive. He made all the right moves. And so as we think tonight about in our walks with the Lord and what we want to do with the Lord from here to eternity, whether we're younger or older tonight, whether we've made a lot of good moves or some good moves or very few good moves, we certainly, I think we can agree tonight, we want to make all the right moves going forward. We want to make good moves. We want to make the right decisions. We want to, we just want to, I think I speak for most of us, we truly want to be used by the Lord for the rest of our lives. We want to be fruitful, and we want to bring honor to the Lord. And when it's our last moment, we want to see the fruit. I mean, last week, the message was pretty serious about that last day, right? Near to death was our text. And that brought us right to the edge of eternity, but here kind of brings us back to what are we, what's our life about until eternity? And so the first thing I point out about Josiah making the right moves that stand out to me, and all this, is Josiah's influence. That, that just gets my attention here in verse 1. It says that when he heard this news, okay, so he got the news that Jerusalem's going to get destroyed and Judah's going to go into captivity. But he got good news for him. You know, your heart's tender. You humbled yourself. The Lord's going to, you're not going to see it in your day. And the Lord says something like that to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah's like, "Well, that's good for me, you know." Like, but Josiah, we don't get that from him. It's just like, "Hey, you're not going to see it in your lifetime. As long as you're alive, these things will not happen." So that's kind of nice for him, but like, but when he heard this and he had the book of the law, he had he had to do something. And as we've seen with him, and we saw this two weeks ago on Tuesday night, that his is a compound, cumulative effect of making good decisions. And we talked about this two weeks ago that when you make when you make the right decision at 8, it's more likely you make the, the right decision at 16. Now, he became king at 8, so that's not really a decision, but he had good counselors around him. And at 16, certainly at the age to drive a car and go to the DMV, he decided that his world was going to be a lot different than the one of his fathers, Ammon and then um, Manasseh. That was not, their world was not his world. At 16, he decided that he was not going to live his life like that, that God was going to govern his life, and he made a commitment to the Lord when the tide of the culture would have been just do what they did. But he, he purposed that at 16, he was going to commit himself to the Lord. And by the time he was 20, he was tearing down things that were offensive to the Lord. And we've been talking about this. We want to be identified, I want to be identified, by what I'm for more than what I identified by what I'm against. But it's inevitable by when you're for something, you're against something. So if you're for the light, you're against Darkness. If you're for life, you're against death. If you're for Christ, you're for the narrow way, and you're opposed to the broad way that leads to destruction, right? If you're for Christ, you're for the blood of Christ, as opposed to the power of men. If you're for the spirit, you're against the flesh, right? So we understand that, and by at 20, when he took that stand, he was identified by what he was, a, what he was opposed to, and he would not tolerate in his mind, in his heart, in his person, and in his kingdom. Now, he obviously didn't get all of it, but he did get after some of it. And by the time he's 26, he says, hey, Manasseh left the the temple in a shambles. And there's all these idols and everything in here. So he took a step this way. He took a step in the direction to fix up the temple. And in so doing, he found the book of the law. See, when you move toward the next thing with the Lord, you might not see it's around the corner, but you go forward, then you get there, and then the Lord shows you what's around the corner. So you take the step of faith to clear out the temple, and then you find the book of the law. This is a whole new thing. That was not your intention, but now you have it. What are you going to do with it? You're going to send for the prophet Huldah and see what she says. So now you've moved on to the next thing. She's going to give a word of the Lord, and now you're really moving on to the next thing. And at this point, this man, this king at 26. He fully believes with all of his heart the word of God. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, the law of Moses, he believes all of it. Leviticus, like when we taught it outdoors during COVID, right? He is all over Leviticus. Like, yes, 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 yes. Numbers, talking donkeys. Yes, yes, and yes. Creation, Genesis 1. Yes, yes, and yes. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, the word of the Lord for him in his timeline he was all for it, so much so that he gathered all the people together, and this is where we see him and his influence. Now, he had a position of influence as a king. I mean what's a bigger position of influence than the king? The President of the United States probably most, most of the world considers the President of the United States whoever he is, in any given time, the most influential person in the world. The president wields a lot of power, the most powerful military. The dollar is the global currency for the last, you know, since post-World War II. It's powerful. Like this, It's a powerful thing. So powerful that you go back to Ronald Reagan, he refused to be in the West Wing without a suit and tie on. We know that, right? Like, he's very n- well known for that, that he so revered the position of his influence of whenever he's in the West Wing, he insisted on suit and tie uh, reverence for the position of influence. If you're a husband, you have a position of influence. If you're a mother, you have a position of influence. If you're grandparents, you have a very profound position of influence. If you have anyone that works underneath you, you have a position of influence. When I worked in room service in Vermont at the Sheraton Hotel, I was usually the deliverer. I delivered the food. Someone else prepped it. And whether it was Dan Kenyon or whoever else that was over me, Billy Hackett, Billy Bratcher. They had influence over me because they were over me. They would tell me, you're going here and doing this or that. We're all under the restaurant manager. Anyone that works underneath you, you have an influence over them. In our neighborhoods, we have an influence to some degree. We can influence people just by how we carry ourselves and how we treat them when we go to the bank, when we go to the grocery store, when we drive on the surface streets, how we carry ourselves on the freeway. A real test of your influence is walking on the bike path in Huntington Beach, especially with the new wide lane. There's a lot of confusion. It's interesting. The walking lane is closest to the green grass and all the squirrels. Now, normally, in our culture, we drive the car on the right side, so we walk on the right. You, you pass on the right, people pass on the left. But all the dogs want to go to the left and go after the squirrels. So you have this unnatural, almost you know, British style, where, where you're almost like, which way are we going? And then some people could care less if you're walking toward them. There are four people, and it's lead follower get out of their way. They're just going to do that. And occasionally, some guy on the bike path, the wide, broader bike path, he thinks he can just come in the walking lane because he can because he doesn't care about anyone else, and no one cares about him, and it's his world, he's the center of his universe, and that's what he's going to do, so you got to look out for him. It's kind of like the Wild West. In fact, when I went to Brazil in the 80s, I never saw the craziest driving as I saw in Rio in 1980, 81, 82. It's just a free-for-all. It was terrifying. And I've thought more than once the new bike path with electric bikes, electric scooters, the big wheel thing where you stand there. And uh, it's a free-for-all. And there's lanes, but no one minds the lanes. And so I thought, well, you know, I pray every day to be friendly and have a smile. This is where I get to do it. And you'd be surprised if you ever walk on the bike path how many people mad dog you. We're just walking, and you're in your 50s or 60s. I figured out one of the best places of influence I can have is walking on that bike path with my wife and not getting upset about people breathing down our neck or coming in our lane or almost running us over on a bike in the walking path. There's an influence. Because what do we know more than anything else? When you let someone go before you, they're doing like, oh, hey, thanks. When you smile, what do you usually get back in return? A smile. I was going to visit my dad about a week ago. And I was pulling into Sunrise, a very unusual situation. There was a man blocking a parking space, and it was completely packed, because Huntington High students pack around there, park around there too, so you can't really park in the, the street level. So I'm like, hey, excuse me, are you, are, are you gonna are you using that spot? Well, he, he had dementia, okay? I didn't know that, because normally anyone with dementia is not going to be all alone, standing in the parking lot, blocking a parking space. I mean, that is unusual, right? Just so you know, like, if you take care of someone with dementia, you don't, you don't leave them alone in a parking lot. So, but I, I couldn't quite figure it out, because like, oh, what's that? He's like, excuse me? I was like, oh, are you, you know, like, because I didn't, he leaves kind of like this, you know, and I know what he's doing. I was like, okay, hey, can I grab that spot, you know? And this lady comes flying up on me, like, just flying up, and she's screaming at me. I, mean, I was like, whoa. I told Jennifer she would have been proud of me, because I like, hey, now, everything's fine. And she said, "That's my spot." She was rabid, like foaming at the mouth. That's my spot. He's got dimension. I was like, "Sure, yeah, you know, like everything's fine." And she's screaming, "I'm not fine!" I was like, "I was like, and I was like hey, it's all good. I'll just, I'll find something over here." And I, and I drove off. And I, I didn't even. I, I was actually like, "Wow, like you're making progress in life at 61." And and because she's like, "What? You want some of this?" You know, no, know. Anyways, so I, I drove and I parked. And then I get in line with her to sign in, and so it's kind of embarrassing for her because I didn't embarrass myself. But she didn't want to look at me, and I was like smile. Of course, I had to wear the mask because it's an elderly place. Uh, but I was friendly and everything, and, and then she was getting a tour, and she was late for the tour. And listen, those of you who take care of your elderly parents, you know, nothing is, in my life, nothing's been more stressful than taking care of, of elderly parents. Can I get a witness on that? Listen, it is extremely stressful, and I didn't take offense by how this lady acted, and I just thought, you know, I've had hives on my neck over stress with banking stuff, uh, <laughs> my dad's retirement benefits, and I mean, I've literally had the the rash from it. So, like, I just realized, like, wow, Lord, I, I'm 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 blessed that I handled that right. And then I had to walk by her when I was taking my dad out. We're gonna go for a ride. I was like. You know, like you can't see the smile, but you kind of can. Remember the mass days? You know, I get the smile. But I was like, you know, like that's, that's our influence. See, we're not the king, and we're not the president. But we have a chance to influence humanity every day for the good things of the Lord. See, all the right moves is pretty much just a general disposition and attitude on every day that we're like Little Miss Sunshine, and we're Little Mr. Sunshine. And we're bringing Jesus Christ is good news. And he is the light and the life of men. And whatever he touches, he brings to life. He doesn't bring death. He doesn't bring cursing. He brings blessing. And even when they're cursing him on the cross, he's still pronouncing blessings on them. That's who we are as the church for 2,000 years. That we are influencers to bring good. And, of course, influencers is a big term right now with social media, right? Like, you know, Influencers. My daughter-in-law, Belle, is an influencer. Leah's long time. My daughter been been an influencer where they get paid to brand stuff, showcase stuff in their social media. And influencers is a really big term. Now, we we used to be sponsored in the 80s, right? I'm sponsored by Body Glove or O'Neill. But now, you know, now you're a brand ambassador, right? It's, just, it's the same thing but different ideas. But influencers is big money. I told you I read a book last year about One million followers and how it all works and how people try and find this and the right influencers. And when Leah and her business with uh, swimwear and all that, they they don't go for the supermodels anymore. They go for the influencers who will come to the show, show the product, and, and post it on their things. Influencers. This is what the world's doing. And this next generation, all these YouTube stars, they get paid to influence either through what they say, what they do, or how they entertain. So you older people, along with me, us baby boomers, and Gen X, and millennials, and Z for that matter, listen, the greatest influence we'll ever give of our life is for Jesus Christ. And so you look at the influences of the people around us. So who did Josiah influence? He influenced, it says he, he gathered, the word all is used quite a bit in these three verses. If you circle it, you'll see so. But he sent together all the elders of Judah. All the men of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the people, both small and great. Josiah is trying to influence as many people as he possibly can to live a life of faith in the living God. His position that he has as king, and he's using his position as king to influence the leaders, religious and political to influence the men and the household, to influence the men in the capital of Jerusalem, the families, and then small and great, anyone and everyone, bring the children's ministry, bring the middle school group, bring the high school group. He's trying to influence everybody for the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? Because the word of God, of course, is truth. Now, we've done a lot about God's word, so I didn't make it one of our points tonight because we all know it is, the whole counsel of God, all that. But he. He's heard this word, he believes this word, and he's going to share this word from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Deuteronomy. For anyone and everyone to hear, he's having it read out loud. Now, later on in the book of Ezra, we read about them doing the same thing in a cold winter rain where they all stood while the word was read. But here, he just had it read. And that's really You know, we we hear so often that the only Jesus some people will see is you and me, right? Like we bring Jesus into any equation. A lot of people, when they go in the mission field or go to foreign countries where there's not a strong Christian witness, when you represent Christ and how you interact with people, that's their first chance of being influenced by someone who confesses Christ and they're reflecting Christ to them. They're showing them the gospel. They're showing them the truth of the word of God. And in his case... Because we're always saved by faith, Old Testament's faith, New Testament's faith. He's, he's encouraging, he's, he's influencing for faith. He's influencing for the truth of the word and for the people to put their trust in it and to obey it. That's what he's doing. And all the counsel of God. Like when Paul the Apostle said to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts, I've not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So all the counsel of God. So his influence, he's using his position of influence for the word of God. Basically, to reach as many people as he possibly can. And in this description of people in verse 1, it's probably four generations. It's the elderly. It's those who are thinking about what retirement's going to look like. It's those people who are like in the prime of their career, and it's the people on the front end of their career. There's generally four generations in motion. As you say, we got baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Z, all sharing the planet right now. And he called small and great together, declared the word, and basically gave it to him. Which leads us to this question to ask ourselves, who are we able to influence? Because the follower of Christ, the disciple of Christ, with the gospel and being led by the Great Commission, which we all should be, we're for God, we're influencing for God. All that we're doing is for good. We see the good, we represent the good, we're the light and the life of men and ultimately, the fruit of our influence is going to be people. Ministry is always people. And you know, it's interesting. is not like, he doesn't have all the building projects of a Solomon. Or he's not identified, like Solomon's identified by all of his wisdom, how smart he was, all that he built, his, his genius. of All that he built is incredible. Hezekiah's, Hezekiah's tunnels, as I mentioned, is one of the most amazing archaeological things Done from that time period, the engineering of all that during the siege of Sennacherib and those guys. Josiah's just like, the word of God, Passover, and the day of the Lord is near. He's not distracted with building projects or, or his own branding, if you will, or these types of things. He's just like, hey, this is the truth. Let's go. And he's going to influence as many people as he can. So I'm very encouraged by this because fruit is people. And as I approach my 35 years of being a pastor, I I go back to my certificate of ordination, which came a year after I became a pastor. So that's 34 years coming up. But on it, that Calvary Vista ordination, which Joe's dad, by the way, signed, Steve Henschel on the Board of Elders, it's that text from John 15 where it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and that you should go and bear fruit. And we're told that we're to ask in the Father's name and he will do it. And the word abides in us, and we ask what we will, and the Father will do it. And then we're told that the fruit is love. So for me, I don't have time for the news. I'm not interested in the news. The closest I got to news this week is my kids told me last night, there's a couple of Chinese balloons over Montana. Okay? I'm like, really? Like, how's that work? You know, <laughs> I was drinking coffee from a China cup, too, because t- when Luke went to China, he got the Starbucks Beijing cup. I'm like, hey, the future's now. <laughs> They're like, that's not funny, Dad. Well, <laughs> if you're 61, it is. <laughs> Start working on your Mandarin. Luke's already ahead of you there, right? Anyway, it's like, I don't have time for it. We have time to influence for good. You know, let's be influencers for good, for Jesus. Influenced by showing his person, responding with his person, and being his person. You know, the children's ministry tonight asked Jennifer, what are you and Kathy doing tonight? What's the lesson? And she said, it's being light of the world. I'm like, yeah, that's the same one we got in here. Yeah. It's not complicated to serve the Lord, right? It's really, you know, the ministry opportunities are endless when you smile on the bike path and don't take it personal. When you respond with the spirit instead of the flesh, good things happen. And it shows Christ And inevitably. It gives us opportunities to share Christ. Now, some people don't want to be under the influence, and that's okay. They're going to respond that way. But we, he reached as many people as he could, and I think that's a good thing for all of us. Like, who can we reach, and who can we influence, and how can we do it? And just without even striving, just to be that way. Now, Josiah not only was an influence, but he was an inspiration. And I think, I think we all want to be an inspiration, right? Like, when you think about your memorial service and your kids get up and speak, or grandkids or coworkers, we, we want them to say they're inspired by you, right? Like, you want to be like, they inspired me. They, you inspired them, like, how you showed up for work day after day, and you did the job, and you did it without sass or attitude. How you carried yourself in the neighborhood. How you were part of the solutions in the neighborhood, not part of the problems. That you, you, you inspire them to do good things. When they were venting about something, you gave them a, a good word about how you, they, could, they could respond favorably and be blessed. Like, we want to, inspiration is to elevate people. We want to inspire people. And you look at Josiah in verse 3. I mean, he doesn't get much more inspiring than this. He gathers them all together. He gives them the truth, the whole counsel of God. And then he says, Now, he, there's a pillar. He stood by a pillar. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe like hmm, one of those kind of pillars, right? He's by a pillar. Here's a pillar. He's like, Hey, he stands by a pillar and he says, It says he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and keep all of the word with all of his heart, all of his soul to perform it. And of the covenant, all that's written, all that's written, and all the people took a stand with him. Now, that's inspiring because he's on fire, and he's all in, and he's going for it. His life is all the right moves, but here he has the ability, once the word is taught, he, he leads from the front like a servant leader, and he inspires them. And there's this pillar that's associated with the covenant, and he makes a covenant. Like, hey, now we're going to make a covenant. It's like, it's like it'd be so awesome if a president came out, any president in the future for our kids and our children's children, just came out and said, hey, the word of God is a final authority, and I'm going to let this guide and govern my thoughts, and I'm going to be influenced by the word of God, and I'm going to make decisions based upon the word of God. They, they probably wouldn't get elected in our country right now, but if they did get elected and they said that, wouldn't that be beautiful? Like, what if they got elected this way and then they totally flipped with the Holy Spirit and they went that way? And was like, what? We didn't elect you for that. And he's like, well, I'm here now. Or she's like, I'm here now. And it's all about Jesus to inspire. I find it interesting, like the Tim Tebow Foundation, I followed on Instagram. And he, he makes these special, like, prom nights for severely handicapped people and various types of needs. Usually mentally handicapped, that kind of stuff. And he cries when he talks about it, you know, and they save these lives and they do all this stuff. But they take people that have been rejected by society and looked down upon, and they make them king or queen for a day. And it's so inspiring. It's so inspiring. They have them on late-night TV shows where no one even agrees with anything that Tim Tebow stands for. I mean, these people, these late-night TV show people, they are so against everything that Tim Tebow is really for, but they're just so inspired by what he does in for the glory of Christ, influence, by caring about humanity this way and doing things for people like this. It is inspiring. Many of you are an inspiration to so many people. Many of you are inspiring to me. All you that have adopted uh, children in this church are a great inspiration to me. You need to know that. We've had a lot of people adopt children in this church. And it's just, uh, man, you know, when I'd be at the Frisbees or like the Stevens and others with adoption, it's just like you see all these adopted kids just like, Man, when people said, I don't, I, I can't do this child, or I don't want to do this child, whatever the background is, and someone steps up and says, I will do this child. What is more inspiring than that? To give your life for the next 50 years from here to eternity, to raise that child, provide for that child spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically? Oh, it's incredible. Let alone if you gave them a Christian education. You set them up for good things. It's inspiring. It's, it's so inspiring. It's also, in many cases, inspiring to give up a child, to carry a child and be willing to give it up too, right? That's inspiring. These women that go to Horizon Pregnancy Center, and they're going to give up a child, and then they're encouraged that someone wants that child, and they carry that child and all that comes with it, and then they, they give that child up, and someone who, who is willing to take that child takes that child. That's an inspiring story. That's a beautiful story. When they told me last year they'd say 440 babies... Uh, it was like May or June. I just remember going, like, 440 children get to, like, we dedicated Mark Coca last week, right? 440 kids, but I'd know they'd be in eternity and glory, but they, would, they wouldn't even know. When we're in that dimension, they wouldn't know the human experience of Ecclesiastes 3 that we get to live in, and be a part of. That's inspiring. Those little bottles with the checks and the cash and the pennies, that is inspiring to me. That stuff's in our office. I look. At it, I'm inspired. You inspire me. It's inspiring. Luke Caldwell and all the kids he adopted from China and Ukraine and I, oh, Luke Caldwell's post, our former worship leader, and you know Tucker dances. There's one kid from China, Tucker, always dances and he dances in public. And I believe Tucker's Down syndrome. And man, he throws it down. And he doesn't care, right? He just doesn't care. So he's like a city square. He's got moves too. And I was like, it's so inspiring. Tim Tebow's inspiring. You see what I'm saying? Like, we want to be an inspiration. We want people to go like, I want what they got. I want what she has. I want my life to count. I want to care about children that other people just can't raise or don't care about. I want to write things that are inspiring. I want to do things that are inspiring. I want to go places that are inspiring. When Jennifer Monroe came back from the country in North Africa, I won't say it publicly for Reasons you'd probably figure out. But she talked about things and showed me photos. I was just like, I was just so inspired. I was like, I mean, I was inspired when she went to Afghanistan. That was really impressive. But the place she went, and I was looking at it, and I've been, in my missionary book, I've been praying for that country and understanding the geopolitical background to it. And I'm like, that it's just so, like, that's so inspiring. That is so inspiring to, to just get on the plane and do that. And go where women have no chance like women in America. And you bring them the smile. You bring them the light and the life. And you bring them the gospel. It's so inspiring. The generosity of so many people in this church with their finances for global missions that we've been able to do the last two years. It's, it's beyond inspiring. It's, it's very reverent to me. I take it very reverently. To be entrusted with large sums of money to distribute to global missions over 50 countries and 80 recipients. It's a, it's a great joy. You know, to sit with the mission pastors over at Calvary Costa Mesa and know that we did over 100,000 to their missionaries last year and have them tell me that that's how most of our missionaries make it by people doing supplemental gifts to undergird what Calvary Costa Mesa does. And it makes a big difference. And you feel like we're a part of that. You know, 22 years ago, Pastor Chuck brought me on staff and believed in me. He believed in me enough to give me a Sunday night to teach one time and to turn Thursday night over to me and then Monday night when Greg Laurie left and to be in that office over there by the bookstore 22 years later and be sitting out with those missionary pastors talking about and know, know all these people in the book because I've prayed for them and to, to hear what's going on and get updates and to know what we've been able to do and what you've done and what we've done collectively together, that is inspiring. Josiah, inspired people for the covenant, for the word, for faith, for steps of faith. He inspired them. His words had power. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are powerful speakers, right? Politicians can be powerful speakers. Motivational speakers can be powerful speakers. Corporate CEOs can be very powerful speakers. Oh, but when you're speaking from the word of God and the life of faith and you're inspiring people, You're influencing them and then inspiring them to take great steps of faith they might have never thought to take. You're elevating their faith. That's who disciples of Jesus Christ are every day, wherever we get to go. We, we have an influence of people we're able to influence and then we want to inspire them like Josiah. Inspire them in the covenant of the Lord. Inspire them in the bread and the cup. Inspire them in the coming kingdom. Inspire them, inspire them in the Beatitudes. Inspire them in all the teachings of Christ, the return of Christ, and every good thing, the stewardships of Christ. We want to inspire people and we inspire them most and truly in the most meaningful way and ultimately the only meaningful way in the person, the work, the word, the promises, and the return of Jesus Christ. See, when we inspire people as a disciple of Christ, we're giving them inspiration that's so much more than graduating college at the top of your class on the dean's list, so much more than winning some sports title or making a ton of money. We inspire people for eternity and the glory. And we're going to get to eternity, and it's, it's just going to be so different and so glorious And all those people that we influenced and we inspired, they're going to be there way more than you even know. Which brings us to our final point: is Josiah's example, where he, he, verse four, where you got to start somewhere, right? If you're going to really go for it, you got to start somewhere. You know, I've got my eight pillars always for with Joy Brand. Pillar number seven is to take action, and pillar number eight is to seal the fruit, right? So you got to you got to start, and then you need to see it through, and you got to complete it. And these are, of course, biblical principles, but. He's heard the word. He's, had, he's got the prophetic word from the prophetess. Then he gathers everybody, his influence, and then he inspires them with the pillar. We're going to this covenant I'm, my heart, all oh, my heart, all oh, my soul. They're like, yes, all of them, great and small. Everybody, the priests like, what else could, What else would we do? They know what happened in the north, and they've got a, a powerful word coming. And then you've got to have an example. And this is where really Josiah steps in because you can motivate people, you can inspire people, but sooner or later you got to get to work and get something done. You can't just talk about something, you got to do something, and doing something starts with the next thing, right? I've talked in the past quite a bit about Elizabeth Elliott before she stepped into eternity, she had a newsletter and we used to get it and she had this phrase she'd say, "Do something." Right? Right? Like just do something. Now, the most successful people in the world would tell you the number one reason they're successful is focus. All the billionaires, collectively, the number one thing they'll say is focus. The ability to focus on one thing and do it extremely well. So I'm going to say, hey, theirs are left behind, we're going to ours, so let's let's be intentional. Let's do the one thing we know we're called to do and let's be focused on it because ours is a greater reward than theirs because I'm Whatever I leave behind, I leave behind. But what I'm going to, I'm going to, and you're going to. The kingdom is worth our best effort. It's worth our first fruits. It's worth, it's worth our fullest focus. It deserves, the kingdom of God deserves our greatest passion. And therefore, we set the example like Josiah. Because, you know, everyone's all moved, they're motivated, and something's got to happen. And he says, hey, Hilkiah, you guys, temple. Right there, ground zero. It starts here. Listen, everything offensive. And stuff's been there for a couple hundred years. It's going you know, to rip it out. Everything. And we're going to pulverize it. That's in the New King James. It used the word pulverize, crush, burn. I mean, he's just on it. He's just smacking everything down. He literally starts with the most obvious thing. Well, let's start in our Jerusalem. Let's go to our Judaism, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He literally did that. He started here, and he went out. He just went out, and he went for it. He took action. He got about it. So he made all the right moves by influencing others and then inspiring others and then leading others by example. Those are like he led by example. He didn't hold back. I mean, you can imagine if you people like, like, oh, yeah, I see how we're playing this political game here. Hey, Josiah, Josiah's got it going. Hey, I'll give him this. He's a great orator, man. He's got the people fired up. Like, dude, for sure, man. He's got them going. You know, there's always people like that, right? There's probably people here tonight like that. Oh, he's fired up. Ben Franklin used to go listen to preachers just to see, like, if they really believed it. So there's always people going like, oh, Josiah, man, this guy, this king, this king's got some, something to say. Huh? Like, he's doing pretty good at 26. It's pretty impressive. It's not exactly the, you know. Manasseh reigned reign, fifty five years. We'll see what this young guy does. And and all of a sudden, like Josiah's like, let's go. And next thing you know, they're ripping out everything bad in the temple. Can you imagine? Some people like, well, he's going for it, bro. Are they going to let him do it? Yeah, he's doing it. They haul it off, burn it, shred it, just dust in Brook Kidron or down by uh, Bethel, whatever. They take it down there at Kidron, and they're like, wow. He's like, oh, where's he going? He's just getting started. He's going to the mount of corruption, the amount of offenses. He's going, to, he's going to the upper chamber of Ahaz. He's going after everything. Chamash, Molech, all of them, they're all going down. Once he got going, he didn't look back. And isn't that how we're supposed to be? When Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. No one putting their hand to the plow and looking back is worthy of the kingdom. Once we, man, it's always forward. Forward, onward, Upward. And finding another gear. Seal the fruit on this and see what the Lord gives you next. You fulfill this at 16, then you get this at 20. You fulfill this at 20, then you get this at 26. Then you get this, and then you get that. And just keep going and then till, till it's over. We go from glory to glory. And here's the, the, the closing thought I have on this with Josiah. Because it was uh, progressive, you might say it was cumulative, or we talk about like the compound effect, that... This is what really encourages me. The more steps, the more thoughts I have aligned, as we say, thinking thoughts after God, the more thoughts I have that match up with God's thoughts, the better for me. Because that means more words that match up with what he would say. That means more actions that would reflect how he acts, reacts, and interacts with humanity. Because we're his disciples, and we're the salt and the light of the world. And we're called that flavor. And there is that cumulative effect that if you make all the right moves and you're all in with the Lord, you just can't have too much. And as you make these good decisions at 16, 20, 26, 30, 39, 50, 60, 70, it just, it's exponential. And the more you invest in the right decisions with the Lord, how you respond, how you act, what you do, how you forgive, how you sow, how you grow, how you let go, how you do all these things, it just builds and builds and builds a life of spiritual wealth. It builds a life of greater influence and inspiration for other people. Don't you want to be the most inspiring version of a grandparent that you could possibly be when you're 80, when your grandkids are 20? Right? You don't want to be like the grumpy grandparent. You want to be the one that inspires them, influences them, and inspires them for the Lord. Because the, to me, what I really got thinking about this whole story with Josiah, because he did just get it got stronger and stronger and stronger. He just went from glory to glory to glory, and then boom, thirty nine. It's over. He's he's in glory. He's in eternity. Now, when he died. If we're around and we know he's got, we don't know how long he's going to live. We just know it's all going to go really bad as soon as he's dead. When you got word that Josiah died in the battle with Necho, you'd be like, well, here we go, honey. Start selling the real estate. <laughs> Liquidate everything. Sell the crypto. Sell the stocks. Hold the gold. And we'll just see where this takes us. And sure enough, it just took 10 years and it just all unraveled. When the Babylonians came, they came in waves. There was three sieges, and they came once, took Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, Ezekiel, those guys, took them away. The, the best. They came, they took all the young people, like, hey, you guys, you come with us, we're going to re-educate you. And they took them. And they came a second time, and then a the third time, they burned all the houses. When the Babylonians came, they took their freedom, the Judas freedom, they took their freedom. They destroyed their property, separated from their property, destroyed all their asset wealth, and marched them off to captivity. And they also killed a lot of their family members. It was horrible. And so I have this thought who was listening 13 years before when the law was read? Because a 10 year old's 23, a 20 year old's 33, a 30 year old's 43, a 40 year old's 53, a 50 year old's 63. You follow me? That four generations, all small and great, they heard everything and who really made the covenant and who really walked with the covenant and who really was ready for Nebuchadnezzar to come round one, round two, round three and wreak havoc like Hitler almost on a society and a people and to feel so helpless. Well, this much I know in the totality of the word of God that's very encouraging to all of us. Somebody raised Daniel and Daniel made the right decisions in Babylon without his parents there telling him what to do. Someone raised Meshach, Shach, and Abednego, and their faith was so strong, you could throw them in the fire, but they are not going to become a Babylonian and worship your gods. Someone, and not her parents, raised Esther, most likely Mordecai, and taught her to fear the Lord as to fear no man, and she went in and bowed the knee to the king with the risk of her life to save all of her people. See, that generation arose from people that stood there on this day. Somebody raised that generation Jeremiah wrote them and told them, hey, 70 years, but you'll be coming back. So in the four generations that stood there in the reading of the law, in verse 1, small and great, all, 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 and 13 years later, Josiah's dead. 23 years later, it's all going down. This inspires me, this encourages me, this comforts me. Josiah's example his influence on that day, his inspiration to lead in a covenant and his example for how he lived his life until he stepped into 39 was there for everyone to see in future generations. Which got me all the way back to Pastor Chuck today and the Jesus Revolution movie. It's been like fifty years. And how many of us are just those 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 people, you know, Lonnie Frisbee's long gone, Chuck's gone, Steve Mays is gone. I mean, if they're not gone, they're going, going, almost gone. You see, that's the, that's the cumulative effect of their faith. That's the compound effect of their faith. It's right here tonight with all of us. So we don't fear what happens in 13 years when one king dies. We don't fear what happens in 23 years when Nebuchadnezzar comes and really does everything. that. What matters is now. The very first verse says now, which I've been emphasizing. Look at chapter 23, verse 1, and we'll close with this. Now. Now I know the context is like now this happened, but now is now. We have now. Worship generation, body of Christ, we have now. And we can be influencers, we can inspire, and we can lead by example. And that's what we have now. And if we accept these things for the glory of Christ, in the power of the Spirit, for the eternal kingdom, we will be extremely fruitful from here to eternity we got to clear out anything and everything that holds back the power of the Lord from our life and distracts us from the kingdom. We want to just be so making all the right moves when the king comes. Yes and Amen. amen.